Welcome everyone, my name is Tim Harris, I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome all of you at the Franklin campus, we love you so much. Pastor Eric, God bless you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is the third in a sermon series entitled Promises to Keep. We're in the middle of a message series talking specifically about marriage. I know that not everybody is married. I also know from reading scripture that not everybody's supposed to get married. Marriage is very much an ideal in our culture, but in scripture, if you read the words of Paul and in other places, it's pretty obvious that marriage is something that God chooses for some people, but not everybody. Uh, singleness is certainly a, a virtuous lifestyle, a way to live and please God, if that is what God chooses for you. But at the same time, if you are married, then God's intention is that you learn to glorify him through your relationship with your spouse. But often that becomes very, very difficult. At church, I know that it's hard because we look across the pews at one another, and it often seems like everybody else has an easy marriage, and if most people knew how hard we have it at home, they, they would think that we're weird. But, but understand, we all struggle in the same ways. We all look better on Sunday morning than we do everywhere else. You didn't see us at home on Saturday or Friday night or whenever else that, that uh, we were having our difficulties. Most all of us have to piece together a happy marriage out of small scraps every single day, and, and it's not easy if it were easy, everybody would, would do it. Uh, at the same time, I just want to bring you back to the basics of what marriage is about. It's about promises. We've talked about three so far. The third one will be today. The first we talked about was the promise of priority. You say to your spouse next to Christ, you are my priority. The second promise was the promise of pursuit. I will pursue you always. And today, the third promise of marriage, the promise of partnership. And for that, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. The promise of partnership. I want to call your attention to a little, uh, little details about this text. First off, understand that in verse 21, where we begin today, this is not the beginning of a new section in the scripture. If you're reading straight through Ephesians chapter 5, um, something important is said in verse 18, where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after that, there's a whole series of action words that end in I-N-G, a whole series of participles there that all direct back to being filled with the Spirit. So Paul, in this section of Ephesians, is talking about the life of the Spirit and how a person lives who pleases Christ. And it involves several things. Verse 19, it involves singing, singing and praising. It involves speaking. It involves giving thanks in verse 20. And then in verse 21, the, the, the verb there is submitting. So understand, this is all a part of that larger section that has to do with the spirit-filled life. And verse 21 picks up with submitting. So begin with me here as we think about the promise of partnership. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submitting to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Notice throughout this passage, Paul's trying to draw a, a very close relationship between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. He wants to compare these things. Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be, say the word, holy. She will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one, one flesh. This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must Love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Four-year-old kid named Brandon was ring bearer at his Aunt Patty's wedding. He was four. He did a great job. Everybody remarked at what a good job he did. He was masterful. At, at rehearsal the night before the wedding, this kid was so serious. It was kind of funny, just that serious. They didn't have the little pillow for him, but he held a hymnal in his hand as he stood on the stage for rehearsal, and he just stood and looked straight ahead. L- looked scared to death, just as serious as he could be. People laughed about it. The thing was that the next day at the wedding, Brandon was the same way, four-year-old kid at his aunt's wedding. He walked down the aisle just as straight as he could be. He stood on the altar with the pillow, with the rings, and he just stood there serious as he could be, just looking straight ahead. Looked scared to death. It was funny, funny. But he was so serious. And it really wasn't like him to be that serious. You couldn't get a smile out of him. You couldn't make him joke with you at all. He was just very serious through the whole wedding, straight ahead, serious as he could be. And he was that way at the reception. I mean, the reception, the party, the cake, it's all over. But still, this boy, Brandon, four years old, was so serious. And his parents began to notice, you know, this just isn't really him. Something's bothering him. He's so serious. He fell asleep on the way home from the reception in the car, so they had no chance to talk to him until t- the next day. He, he came out for breakfast, four-year-old Brandon, and he was still just really serious. Something was bothering the little fellow. So finally, Dad said, Brandon, are you okay? Is there something bugging you? He said, no, I- I'm fine. Dad said, something's just not right with you ever since the wedding. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Little boy said, I'm fine, Daddy. And then he said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? Did I get married yesterday? (laughs) Father said, no, son, you didn't get married. You were the ring bearer. You didn't get married. Aunt Patty got married. You were just the ring bearer. He said, so I didn't get married? What was I doing up there? I tell you this story because it reminds me a lot of people I meet in life, people who seem to have this vague recollection of having been in a wedding ceremony, people who have this knowledge that there was a service and they were in it, but, but for the life of them, they're not exactly sure what they did up there. I'm talking about married people. I just want to remind you today and continue to remind you what you did up there when you got married. You made promises. You made promises, and although the words that we use in weddings tend to be different, we all pretty much make the same promises to love, honor, and cherish, and sickness and health, richer for poor, for better for worse, till death do us part. It's the same basic promise, and it involves, among other things, a promise of partnership. You're going to be partners. I don't know what you think of when I say the word partner. Maybe think about a game, playing on a team, or maybe playing cards when you have a partner. Who is your partner when you play cards? What do we mean by that? A partner in a game. Somebody tell me. What's that mean? 
Somebody who's on your team, somebody who's on your side, that means the two of you are working together and you're probably working together against the team on the other side. In a game, your partner is the one with which you work, with whom you compete, so that you can somehow come up against the other side. In games, you have a partner. In, in dancing, I know we're Baptists, we're not supposed to do these things, but in dancing, you have a partner. If you've ever watched Dancing with the Stars, you know that the partner is the one that you hold close and you move with through the music. In, in dancing, you have a partner. So in a lot of ways, think about a partner like that. It's the one with whom you compete, the one you work together with. It's the one you hold close and you move with through the music. It's a partnership. Marriage is a partnership. The word partner really boils down to simply being one who shares. So your married partner, your marriage partner, is the one with whom you share uh, this thing called marriage. I want you to write this down. Take out pencil and paper. I want you to write down this vow of partnership, this promise of partnership. It has to do with this, and there are very key words in what I'm about to, to go over with you. So please write this down and think about these words as you think about your marriage. The promise of partnership is about this. In marriage... We are united by a covenant. I'll stop right there. United is an important word. Notice in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the main points of this scripture is unity. Because we are united in marriage, because we are united in Christ, it's the strongest kind of union you can talk about in human relationships, this unity that Christ makes us to be. In marriage, you are united by a covenant. Covenant means promise or agreement. Marriage is a covenant agreement, an agreement based on promises. In marriage, you are united by a covenant to work together. That's the partnership part. In marriage, you are united by a covenant to work together toward holiness for both. Holiness for both and happiness for the other. Marriage is a partnership. It's a partnership where two people are united by a covenant to work together toward holiness for both and happiness for the other. Holiness for both. Happiness for the other. It's partnership. But I know, I, I know that in a lot of our marriages, as life comes in and life begins to happen, the partnership breaks down. First off, understand, as a married person, as a married person, the devil wants to destroy your marriage. The devil knows that one of the cleanest ways to come in and mess up your life, one of the best ways to destroy you and the life of your spouse and the life of your children and everything that comes after, one of the best ways to get at you is to destroy your marriage. So the devil does want to destroy your partnership. And he stays up late and he gets up early every day trying to think of new ways to come up against you and your spouse. Don't ever Never forget that. The devil works overtime to destroy your marriage and he will study you and he will find your weaknesses and he will do whatever it takes to drive the two of you apart, to make you stop being partners. The devil will do that, so, so understand that. So in your marriage, you begin to have division. And many of you sitting right here this morning, if you were honest, you would say that your marriage has become that, sort of a, a division. It's no longer you complete me. It's more about you compete with me. It's not about us working together. We've begun to work against one another. There's division. Now think about that word division, that prefix di. Di, it means two. So when you have the word division, what you're thinking about are literally Two visions. 
A, a, a division in a marriage comes because there is no longer one vision, but there are two visions for marriage. In your marriage relationship together as partners, you've got to have one vision. So the big question is, whose vision is it going to be? Probably the one who nags the most, you think? It gets to be the vision of the one who nags the most, or maybe the one who is the most stubborn, the one who's just going to get her way or, or his way. Whose vision is it going to be? In your marriage, you can't have two visions. You must have one vision, and that vision must be, say the word with me, God's vision. It's got to be God's vision. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your marriage. God has a vision for your marriage, and you have to find together God's vision. So let's just ask the basic question. What does God want in your marriage? What does he want from your marriage? Number one, God wants holiness. God wants holiness. I said this two weeks ago. I'm going to give it to you again like you've never heard it before because you've got to hear this. God's aim for your whole life, his purpose for everything, whether you're married or single, God's purpose for your life is holiness. God is working in your life to make you holy, to make you like Christ. That is what everything is about. It's the purpose of everything that happens to you. And right now, whatever God is doing in your life, it is leading toward your becoming like Christ. It's holiness. Everything in life is about holiness. So the purpose of your marriage, if you're a married person, is still holiness. God wants to use your relationship with your spouse in order to make you more like Christ every day. That's what he's doing. And that's what your marriage is for. So the secret to marriage is to become like Christ, to be like Christ. In any place where you have marriage problems, I promise you, you've got at least one person and probably two who are not acting like Christ, not loving like Christ, not living like Christ. The secret is to become like Christ. God wants holiness in your marriage. The problem is we often seek, instead of holiness, we seek happiness. We want happiness. So forget about holiness. I feel like I would be happier if I had a jet ski. Or if I had a new fishing boat, or if I could go and spend a whole day and spend my whole paycheck in Hobby Lobby, baby, that would make me really happy. And so you have marriage partners who begin only to seek their own happiness. They're seeking happiness. And they seek happiness instead of holiness. So here's the rule. You can write it down. If you seek happiness instead of holiness, you will find neither. You will find neither happiness nor holiness if you chase after happiness. Happiness is not your purpose, and it's not the purpose of your marriage. It's holiness. So if you will seek holiness before happiness, guess what? You'll find both. You seek holiness before happiness, you will find both. God's vision for your marriage is about holiness. And you're to work together so that you can find holiness. Both of you find holiness. And then I encourage you to seek the happiness of the other. It goes back to the second thing about God's vision for your marriage. It goes back to verse 21, that word that has been so used and misused when we speak about marriage. The word is submit. Further, submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. I purposefully begin this sermon in verse 21 because most preachers don't. And I think it's wrong. I think it's misleading when you start at verse 22 with wives submit. Because you've just taken that whole instruction to the women out of its context. There's a larger context here where we're talking about the duty of every Christian, every person with the Spirit of God. And in the same way that we're all supposed to be filled with the Spirit and we're all supposed to sing psalms and we're all supposed to make music to the Lord in our hearts and in the same way we're all supposed to give thanks for everything to God the Father in the same way we're all supposed to submit, submit to one another. It's what the Scripture says. It's what the Scripture says. Submission is for everybody, not just women. When you give the impression that only women are supposed to submit, then you're, you're mis, misrepresenting what Scripture says here. Submission is a Christian virtue for everybody. 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about love, says love never seeks its own way. So you can't talk about a Christian marriage and set it up where one person always gets his way and somebody else always has to submit. That's not the godly vision of marriage. That's not what it says here. It says, submit yourselves to one another. That's everybody. In other words, it's never about getting your way, whether you're the husband or the wife. It's never about you getting what you want. It's never about one person getting to bark out instructions or one person getting to be the, the family member around which everybody else has to revolve. That's not Christ. If we suggest to husbands that they are able simply to always have their way, then we're not teaching men that Christ is their example. That's not how Christ is. Christ never sought his own way. He laid down his life for the world. Do you understand that? And Christ is everybody's example in marriage. He's the example for the women, and Christ is the example for the men. Men, Christ is your example. It's not your grandfather. It's not your father. It's not your great-grandfather. It's not the men you see on TV. Your example in marriage is Christ. Submission is a way that all of us imitate Christ. And it is the secret here to God's vision for marriage. It's a submission. But, but what does that mean? What's it mean to submit? It means simply this. It means that you live your life totally for the other person. Whether you're the husband or whether you're the wife, you are called by God to live your life totally for the other person. Love always seeks the welfare of the other person. Love never seeks its own way, Scripture says. Love always, always submits like that. Whoever's doing the loving, Submit yourselves to one another. It says plain is everything. That's the first word. And then it goes on to explain what that looks like in your typical marriage. And it reiterates it. Wives, you submit yourselves to your husbands. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Once more, that marriage relationship is compared to the church. That's the analogy driving the ideas here. And so the wife imitates Christ, the same kind of unity you find with Christ in the church, you find with the wife and the husband as she submits like Christ. It's simple. 
But, but, but then it goes on, for the husband, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. You see what it says, husbands? You gotta love in such a way where you lay down your life for this woman. You live your life totally for her as she lives her life totally for you. That's the kind of mutual submission that scripture has in mind. Nobody's seeking their own way. Nobody's in charge like that. You've got two people completely dedicated to the holiness and happiness of the other person. That's heaven on earth. That's heaven on earth. But we don't get to experience that very often, do we? Man, if that's the partnership God has in mind, two people working together like that, Working together for the other person's happiness and holiness doesn't describe the way a lot of us experience marriage. Somewhere along the way, the partnership breaks down. And some of you are in the middle of that marriage right now. It's, it's not working together anymore. It doesn't feel like two people on the same side. It feels like two people on opposing sides. You've got two visions now. So let's talk real honestly. How do you get the partnership back? If your marriage is strong and you've got good, strong partnership, this is how you strengthen it. So it's still for you. But let's talk about how to recover that sense of partnership. i got three steps for you. Number one, write this down. It goes back to what I've been saying. The first step, you've got to get a new vision from God for your marriage. You've got to get a new vision from God for your marriage. Right now, what you see when you look at your marriage is not good. And honestly, when things aren't good, we tend to see only the bad. And this is why you've really got to get new eyes to see your marriage. God sees it clearly and God sees it perfectly. You're not seeing it very well. Ask God for a new vision for your marriage. You've got to see it like he sees it. And it is not all bad. Brother Tim, you don't know our marriage. You don't know. We got really, really complicated marriage. You don't understand. I don't have to understand, to be honest. Number one, you should understand a few things. The two of you did not go out and invent a miserable marriage. There are lots of people who've been miserable in marriage before. Most of us in this room, we all struggle every single week. You are really not all that different from the rest of us. And we all get our marital problems out of basically the same basket. What you're experiencing is not new to the world, and probably there are people in this room who've been through the very same thing as you're going through. So stop telling yourself that you're so different. You're not that different. Your marriage is not that much more complicated than the rest of us. Do you have a mother-in-law? It's complicated. It's always complicated. It just is. But you've got to understand that sometimes complicated problems can have simple answers. Sometimes complicated problems can have very simple solutions. And you've got to start thinking about solutions. You've got to start thinking about solutions and you've got to stop thinking about divorce. Now listen to me. You've got to stop thinking about it. It is not a part of God's vision for your marriage. It doesn't matter what's broken. God is able to repair what is broken. Everything placed in God's hands, he can fix. You put it in his hands, he will repair it. If you give it to him, it can be fixed. But you've got to stop thinking about divorce. 
Maybe you're thinking that, that you know, you're going to give it some time. What you're doing is you're going to get yourself through school, and once you can support yourself, then you'll ask for divorce. Maybe you're thinking about it in those terms. Once you can get on your feet, can maybe live on your own, then you'll leave him. Or, or maybe you're thinking that you'll stay with her until the kids are grown, and once the kids get out of high school, then you'll leave her because you're thinking that it won't hurt the kids as bad then. I don't care how you're planning it, stop planning it. Stop. That is not a part of God's vision for your marriage. It's not. He didn't bring the two of you together to split you up now. What God has joined together, let no one separate, they said at the end of your wedding. It's not part of it. And you've got to stop thinking about that. You've got to commit yourself to this marriage. You made promises, didn't you? You made promises. What kind of a woman walks out on her promises? What kind of a man walks away from his promises? You made promises. So you commit yourself, and you sit down together and remind each other that as bad as it is, we will not see divorce as an option. We will stay together. That does wonders, actually, because it reminds each of you that you've really got to work this out, that walking away from this is not going to be a solution. You're thinking to yourself that divorce would be easier than fixing this marriage, and you're wrong. You're wrong. Divorce is never easier. Just ask people who've been divorced, they'll tell you. It is not easier. You're thinking that you'll divorce this man and you'll never have to deal with them again, that you'll just be separate. I'm telling you, you'll always be in one another's lives. He's not going to go anywhere just because you divorce him. You'll always have to deal with one another, and especially if you have children. You think divorce is easy. Scripture says, for this reason, marriage, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. One flesh. And you're thinking that divorce somehow dissolves that, but it doesn't. It can't. There's a one flesh principle there that God honors and God creates. And if you think you can't see that in your marriage right now, I'm just asking you to look at your kids Look at your children. They are the embodiment of the one flesh. That child of yours is one part daddy and one part mama, and you will never, ever unscramble that egg. Do you understand? You will never, ever divide that child. You can split up your belongings. You can divide up the money, but you cannot divide the children. They are the one flesh that your marriage is to embody. Your children are, are the one flesh of your union, you're not going to split them. I'm telling you, divorce is not your option. You've got to stop thinking about it. You've got to stop going there. You've got to recommit yourself to this marriage. And the only way to do that is to get a new vision for it from God. Your vision has taken you to where you are. Get a new vision, a new vision from God. I'm telling you, you really can put the wheels on this faster than you imagine. I promise you that. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that. But it is possible. It really is possible. Two real simple things here, real simple principles for fixing your marriage. Number one, stop doing what doesn't work. I know that sounds simple. It's also really important. Stop doing what doesn't work. There are things right now you're doing and you think it's going to help your marriage and it's not helping. You can stop that now. Like what? What are the things you do in marriage that don't work? Well, I could start with maybe, you know, never coming home. That's not working out for you very well. 
You're thinking if you just stay at work or stay at the shop or go fishing every Saturday and Sunday that somehow if you never have to go home and fight with her, everything will get better. That's not working out for you. Let's stop doing what doesn't work. Or maybe you're nagging, because sometimes that's where we go. If the marriage is sort of out of control, one or the other of us will just start nagging, and we'll nag, and we'll nag, and somehow we think that's going to help. Let me tell you, nobody's ever helped anything by nagging. Nothing is helped by nagging. Stop doing what doesn't work, and start doing more of what does work. It's really that simple. Start doing more of what actually works. What are the things you do that actually do bring you together? What are the things you say and do that actually do make the other person sort of come towards you? Do more of that. The best thing you can do that always works, ask for what you need from your partner. Just ask. Well, I do ask. I follow him around the house, and I'm asking all the time, and I ask, and I ask, and he won't do nothing. He won't ever change. Hold it, Mama. Just hold it. There was a lady who said that. She said that she asked and asked and asked, and her husband never changed. The issue with them was weekends. His idea of the perfect weekend was coming in from work on Friday and hitting the chair. And he hit that chair, and he laid there till Sunday. You'd think he was a corpse. He laid in his chair, and he watched sports. He slept through sports. He'd asked her to bring him a pimento cheese sandwich, and he just laid in that chair. And it was killing her. It was making her miserable. And so she'd come in and say, why do you think that this is all we do on the weekend? Why do you just lay in a chair on the weekend? And he'd say, why don't you just leave me alone? And that was every weekend. One Saturday night, she just had enough. She came in and said, you're driving me crazy. You lay there in that lazy chair, and all you do is just lay, and it's the weekend. And I don't know how in the world one person can eat so much pimento cheese and drink so many Diet Cokes and sit and watch so many golf games. And I'm telling you, you're driving me crazy just laying in that chair. And he'd say, I lay in this chair to get some peace and quiet because you nag me all the time. And on and on they went. It went on for an hour and a half. Finally, she was so mad, she said, I don't understand, it's a weekend. I don't know why you just can't take me to town and we could go out and get something to eat. And he said, well, let's go. (laughs) She said, what do you mean? He said, you want to go to town and get something to eat? Let's go. Do you understand? In all of her nagging, She never, ever asked for what she wanted. All she wanted is get in the car and go to Cheddar's. She could ask. You're saying, well, that won't work. I just dare you to try it because, honestly, the nagging's not working. It's never going to work. Maybe if you just asked for what you want from one another, you you might find it uh, amazing. Step two, step two here. Let's dig in. Verse 33, I really want you to look at this verse with me. Number two, in repairing the partnership of your marriage, you need to give each other more of what they need. Give the other person more of what they need. And God knows that in marriage we don't need the same things. Men and women are different. Have you not noticed that? Men and women are different. That's why verse 33, the final instructions speak to the men and women differently. So again I say, each man must say the word, Love, love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, say the word, respect her husband. Isn't that interesting? They're given two different words. Man, you need to love your woman. Woman, you need to respect your man. Why would God give two different instructions? Simply because we need different things. 
men and women are different. It starts from the very, very earliest place. You see two little girls at school. They see each other from across the playground. What do little girls think when they see another little girl? I wonder if she likes me like I like her. I wonder if she's my best friend because I think I'm her best friend. That's how girls think. I wonder if she likes me as much as I like her. But if two boys see each other across the playground, do they think that? What do two boys think? I wonder which one of us can pee the farthest. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? No boy has ever thought, oh, I wonder if we're best friends. I I wonder if he, no, 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 no. We're different. And God knows we're different. And so God knows that in every good partnership, you've got to learn to give the other person more of what they need. And our needs are different. Needs are different. Let's start with the women. Men, you need to give that woman unconditional love. Unconditional love. What does that mean? It means love without condition. If she gains weight since you married her, you love her anyway. You love her more. There's more to love, baby. You understand? You love her unconditionally. You don't understand how she treats me. You don't understand how she nags. I don't have to understand. You love her unconditionally. Your love is not some gift that she has to earn. It is not something that she needs to deserve. You love her unconditionally for the one reason that God commands you to. God says love her. God says love her. Therefore, it's unconditional. It is a commandment. You love her. You love her. And it goes beyond that. It tells you what kind of love. For husbands, this means love your wives Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. In other words, husbands, this is a sacrificial kind of love. I don't know where we ever got the idea that that means that we get to sit around and and bark out the orders because that's not God's vision of marriage. It is a husband not getting his way, but laying down his life for that woman. You should be willing to die for this woman. It's a sacrificial kind of love, and it pertains particularly to the man. you got to love her like this. She longs to feel secure with you. She longs to know that you love her, so sacrifice for her. It's simple. That means in your day-to-day life, whenever there's a sacrifice to be made, you make it. Talking to the husbands, you make it. You're both very, very busy. You're both at work, but suddenly your kid's puking at the school and somebody's got to go get the kid. Somebody's got to sacrifice. Guess who should do it? I say you, mister. You sacrifice. You are the one called to sacrifice in this relationship. If there's a sacrifice to be made, you make it. One pork chop left at supper. Who gets it? Somebody else, Bubba. You let somebody else have it. If there's a sacrifice, you make it. You understand? Not a single amen. (laughs) If there's a sacrifice, sir, you make it. You are called to love her unconditionally. You are called to lay down your life for her. So if you're willing to give up your life, you should be willing to give up your way and everything else. God's vision that you live totally for this woman. Love her unconditionally. Love her. Notice the word's different for the women. Each wife must respect her husband. You know, honestly, we want to be loved too, but here's the thing. If a man doesn't feel respected, he'll never feel loved. 
That respect's got to come first for the men. We just need that. We need admiration from our wives. I know that sounds lame, but it's just how we are. Let me tell you something. If I were to right now pull the men out and ask them a simple question, if I ask every married man in this house, does your wife love you? All the men would say, of course. If I ask the men, does your wife love you? They would all say, of course. But if I ask the same men, does your wife like you? A lot of men would struggle. Do you understand the difference? We all feel like our wives love us, but we're not altogether sure that they like us. Why is that? See, respect has something to do with the way you treat that man and the way you talk to that man. And to be real honest, the way many wives talk to their husbands, it does not sound like respect. Whatever we do, it never seems to be good enough for you. We talked about the nagging, and sometimes that nagging and nagging, don't you understand? It rips right at the soul of that man. You continue to make us feel like we can never please you. Continue to make us feel like whatever we do, it won't be enough. And honestly, that is the perfect way to make us give up trying to please you and give up trying to do anything for you. We just can't please you. Do you understand? We need that respect. Well, Brother Tim, you don't understand my husband. He doesn't lift a finger to anything around the house. Well, I I doubt that. He's probably lazy like the rest of us. But I, I know good and well that most of us do something by accident that's right sometimes. I mean, I'm not a great house cleaner, but sometimes I'll accidentally pick up a glass and take it to the sink. You you understand? So your husband, sometimes he's got to do something right. And in the moment when he does, how do you respond? What do you do when he does something right? Let's just say, uh, once in a blue moon, let's say tonight it's a miracle, a miracle in human history. Your husband loads the dishwasher. He loads the dishwasher, and you didn't even have to nag or ask. He just gets up and does it. What do you say? You're going to say, that doesn't go there. Glasses don't go on the, glasses don't go on the, glasses go on the top, then they go on the bottom. Aren't you? Aren't you? If, wife, if you got hit by a truck somehow and you were not able, not able to care for the child and your husband gets up and, and goes and changes the diaper, you'd come in here on your crutches just so you could say, diaper goes on the other end, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Come straight in there. Just to tell us that we're doing it wrong. Do you not understand what that creates? Well, I don't know why we're talking about this. Nine times out of ten, I am the one that loads a dishwasher. Nine times out of ten, it's always me. Well, listen to me, honey. You keep nagging, you're going to do it ten times out of ten. You'll be doing it ten times out of ten. Because you are destroying the soul of that man. He really does want to please you, and he wants to believe that he can. But if you never, ever, ever let him know that he's pleased you, if you never let him do for you, and never let him do it his way, and never let him show you that he'll come through for you, then guess what, baby? You get the husband you deserve. Because you're creating him. Every time you speak that into his heart, every time you continue to remind him that he never does it right, that he never pleases you, just don't be surprised when eventually you get a man who has no desire to please you. Men need the respect. We do need the admiration. I know it makes us sound pathetic, but understand, the scripture says you've got to give this to this man. It's unconditional respect. Unconditional respect. That means he doesn't have to earn it. God's already commanded that you give it, so you respect that man. You admire him. 
Most of us as men, we have it tough. I know women have it tough too, but it's tough on a man. Look at this economy. A number of us are unemployed in this congregation now. We take it in the gut every time we go to work. Our boss is on us. Everybody reminds us how we're not what what we ought to be, how we're not living up to potential. We deal with that all of the time. We need to come home to a woman who says something different to us. We need to come home to a woman who admires us and believes in us and, and still somehow, somehow is willing to get on our side. If a man can come home to a woman like that, he can take it in the gut everywhere else. He'll do fine everywhere else, but he's got to have that from his wife. It's what the scripture says. Respect that man. When you were first married, you were his number one cheerleader. You laughed at all of his jokes. He shared his dreams with you, and you told him what a great man he was, what a great man he would be. I'm saying what happened. Listen to how you talk to him now. Look how you treat him now. God says unconditional respect. He knows you love him, but he's not sure you like him because you don't show any respect for him. One last thing. I want you to see this. We're, We're still talking about how to bring the partnership back together in your marriage. But there's a cycle, and I want you to see it. It goes back to verse 33 here, how the man needs respect and the woman needs love, and therefore the woman is commanded to respect her husband and the man commanded to love his wife unconditionally. But the thing is, as long as a man doesn't feel respected, he has a really hard time giving that love. And you know what else? As long as that wife doesn't feel loved, she has a real hard time giving that respect. And so there's a cycle that kicks in. It's a crazy cycle, one person's called it. It's that cycle because as long as he's not getting respect, he doesn't give love. But as long as she's not getting love, she doesn't give respect. And this is the marriage that many of you are trapped in right now. It's a cycle because neither one of you has what you need. You're not getting what you need to turn around and give what the other one wants. And this is the crazy cycle. But here's what I want you to understand. You've got to break this cycle. In order to recover the the promise of partnership between the two of you, in order to get back to a place where you can work together and find God's vision, you got to break this cycle. And that means somebody, somebody has got to go first. Somebody's got to decide that if if one of you is going to follow Christ and you're going to be the one to follow Christ and you're going to love her unconditionally, man, I say you go first. Husband, if you're supposed to make the sacrifice, if you're supposed to be the leader, then lead, buddy. You go first. It was supper time at a family's house. They had several boys. The boys were fighting over the last cupcake. Last cupcake. Boys fighting. I mean fighting. Mom finally said, boys, just stop it. Just stop it. I can't believe you act like this. We go to church and we learn about Jesus, and this is how you act at home with your brothers. If Jesus were here, I know that he would give the cupcake to his brother. Oldest boy looks at the little brother and says, you be Jesus. Somebody in this marriage is going to have to be Jesus. Somebody's going to have to go first. I say you. I say you. Go home and respect this man. Give him what he needs. Give him unconditional respect. Believe in him again. Give it to him. He hasn't earned it. It doesn't matter. You, you need to give it. Believe in him. Communicate that you admire him and love him. Love his heart. 
Man, you got to go home. You got to love this woman like Christ would love her. So you better get with it. Lay down your life. Sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice for the sake of this woman, for the sake of this marriage. Be like Jesus. I'm telling you, somebody's got to love Jesus enough to go back home, put something into this marriage. Somebody's got to become enough like Christ to go back home and act like Christ with the wife, with the husband. Because you're supposed to be partners. You're supposed to be working together toward holiness for both of you and happiness for the other person. You're supposed to be working together to have something together. Not just a house and family, but to really have something. Love. Love between your hearts. You're supposed to be working together, a a partnership. It's a promise that you made to one another. And I'm telling you, it's a promise worth keeping. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, for some of us, it has broken down. The the partnership has broken down. We are no longer pulling with one another. We are pulling away from one another. And God, I pray that by your power and grace, you will do a miracle in the lives of married people in this church. God, I pray for men who will stand up and be godly Christ-like men who will lay down their lives for the sake of their wives and children. God, I pray for men who, whose number one concern is the holiness of their families, Lord, and the happiness of their family members. And God, men who will sacrifice everything for the others. Lord, I pray for women, women who will stand up and, and become like Christ and learn to live totally for their husband, to live totally for him, to respect him and admire him and speak words of encouragement and building up inside of his heart, Lord. God, it's horrible the way we take each other for granted. It's horrible the way we let the partnership crumble. So God, today I pray that you will give a new vision for marriage in the mind and heart of every husband and wife in this house. Oh God, all that's broken in these marriages, Lord, I pray that you will begin to repair the pieces. Lord, everything that's falling apart, Lord, I pray that you'll hold it together. Lord Jesus, I know that what we ask for and what we long for in marriage seems so far out of our reach. Lord, we know that it's only possible by your grace, by your power, by you coming, Lord, and living your life through us. So Jesus, come and take over and be the Lord of our hearts and the master of our emotions, Lord, so that somehow in our lives we can be holy like you. We can be like you. God, especially when we get home with our wives, our husbands, our children, Help them, Lord, to see you in us. Lord Jesus, we know that you're speaking to our hearts today. Help us to listen and submit to whatever you have for us to do. It's not our way, Lord, but your way. Help us, Lord, to submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For some of you, what we're talking about is so out of reach because I.